0: You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com.
1: Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5 p.m. Central. When you have a question, call or text 512 836 five ninety Trent, you're on the air. How may I help,
2: Carl? certainly Trent. Leander, long time since they checked in. Thanks for taking the call.
1: You bet. How may uh, I help, your Trent? Your
2: answer, both at the beginning and at the end of the last question, was prophetic to my question.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, I think
2: you uh, you were tuned into mine in advance, but uh, I just want to ask you uh, regarding an investment that I have my life savings. Uh, was invested in ETFs until uh, what was it about mid February 2020 when uh, everything started just crashing. Right. And out of mainly panic, I just got everything out of the market, and uh, I got out at quite a loss. And I looked around for something at kind of the bottom to invest in that I knew would be going back up, and I spotted uh, Schlumberger, an oil stock, exploration stock, and I put a lot into that. And it paid off. And then I, I, I sold it and bought it again uh, back in March and paid off again for me. So right now I'm sitting mainly in cash, and I'm waiting uh, for an opportunity. And I'm just wondering if I should jump back in the market, uh, not not necessarily in oil, but in other things that look kind of promising, uh, ETF and stock-wise, or whether I should just take a breather and uh, just uh, sit in the money market for two, three months and wait for an opportunity in the, in uh, in, a, in a downturn.
1: Okay. So um, for the rest of our listeners, uh, last year was a rotten year for stocks and bonds, with a major exception, which was the energy industry, which uh, that sector of the Standard & Poor's 500, the energy sector, which would include Schlumberger, uh, actually had a 45% return. That's the sector, so some stocks obviously did better than that. This year, in spite of the fact that OPEC has cut back on production, oil prices have fallen between 15 and 20%. And the reason for this is partly that there's just huge increases in Productivity and Schlumberger is absolutely part of that. I talked about this last week, and if you're interested, you can go back and listen, Trent or anybody else. But the that what the bottom line is that a lot of U.S. companies can be profitable. Now these are production companies, obviously not not Schlumberger or Halliburton. At at half of what gold, they can make as much money with forty-two dollar a barrel as they could have made with eighty-four dollar a barrel back 25 years ago. Unfortunately for the Saudis, they need $81 a barrel, which is above the current Brent, to meet their budget. So they're not hurting, but the outlook right now, when you have, uh, unless you have one heck of a global recession, the outlook for oil right now, and natural gas has been off anywhere from 40 to 50%, the outlook for oil is, I would say somewhere between flat and declining so i i would say that doesn't look particularly attractive the challenge you've got right now trent is while we've had a good year when you look at the broad indexes like the standard and poor 500 or the nasdaq you see these big numbers but those are capitalization weighted indexes and the top seven cap weighted stocks in the s p 500 with names like nvidia and Apple, and Netflix, and Meta. Those stocks are driving the market. And if you pulled those stocks out and looked at the other 453 stocks in the S&P 500, you would see they've just had middling returns. So it's a really interesting time to see whether these other companies are starting to pull in and participate like they did this past week, or this is the beginning of a topping out of a market. I'm nervous because of valuation. The S&P because it includes those top 7 is selling for about 20 times anticipated earnings and earnings for the S&P 500 are predicted to drop by 9% this year. So no one would argue that the US stock market using the S&P as a proxy is cheap. So if I were but that doesn't mean it's going to go down. I've learned a lot. I've been doing this 45 years, and good times can last longer than you ever anticipate, and so can bad times. If it were my money, I would not be all in or all out because there's opportunity cost because when you got out in February or March, the, the market rallied over 100 percent from there. So you don't want to do that again. So I think what you want to do is start the dollar cost average in. So let's just say you had $100,000 to put in exchange-traded funds. I'd stay with the cap-weighted ones. That's just, frankly, where the action is, and use an exchange-traded fund that follows the S&P 500 or the total U.S. stock market. The international market's far cheaper than the domestic market, but it it doesn't matter right now. I look at, for example, the Vanguard total uh, market ETF through yesterday's up 18.06 and the Vanguard XUS is up 12.58. So while the foreign stocks look cheap and the dollar has shown some weakness, it's the action is still in large cap stocks and particularly large cap growth stocks. So I would stick my toe in if I had $100,000, I'd put $20,000 in a large cap US index, not a growth index, but a large cap like an S&P 500 or a total stock market. Then I'd sit back for a while because it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Fed policy. As I said to an earlier caller or a text person, the current bet in the financial futures market is that they're going to raise interest rates 25 basis points on the 26th, 27th of July. And then it's an even bet what they do in September. And there's a lot of thinking September could be the last one. But if the inflation numbers don't come down and the employment numbers don't get worse, they could keep raising weight. So I think I'd be partly in but not completely if I were in your shoes. That's my thinking.
2: Carl, thanks so much for that observation. And if and, and the thoroughness of it, yes, I did forget to uh, mention the fact that uh, there does seem to be a, a lot of market manipulation by the federal government at this time, and that's also uh, an uneasy
1: feeling. okay, well, thanks for calling. Yeah. you're listening to money talk on news radio kLbj caller text five one two eight three six zero five ninety i would I, I just need to say this i I know what Trent means because he's talking about monetary policy and that's what the central bank does. I would the manipulation implies I think a little more of a motive that's perhaps not shall we say wholesome. I think the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place because inflation is the enemy. Inflation robs people on fixed income. It reduces people's standard of living. You frequently can't keep up with job uh, wage increases with the rising costs of things like food. So inflation is the enemy. And clearly fiscal policy, meaning what what's coming through Congress and the administration, are, is not anything that reduces inflation. I could argue it would be; it is further inflationary. So we have to look to the Fed to provide us with some level of discipline. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Michael, you're on the air. How may I help?
3: Great show, Carl. Thank you. Uh, simple question. I heard they are going to reshuffle triple Q because too many large caps are forming the irregularity in, uh whatever you call that. What do you know about it and what should one do?
1: What was that, what do I know about what, Michael? The
3: the triple Q is yeah. also going to resuffle like I W H yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how is it going to affect what I have in triple Q right now?
1: Well, it's uh, I think it's just gonna keep triple it's it's not gonna take the, the it's not gonna take the the foot off the accelerator so so to speak just because of the way that which they do it you're going to continue to have that kind of that kind of concentration. So I don't I, I'm on I haven't read anything in the financial press. So all I can tell you is, you know, it's been it's been, you know, obviously a huge success because of the narrow leadership in the market and I don't think that we can expect that to change. I would just say that you don't want to be overweighted in that for the reasons that I was talking about Trent because a lot of times at the later stages of a bull market like the one we're in now you get more and more mm-hmm. narrow leadership the classic was in 1999 with the peak in March of 2000 and you, if you had to own you had to own Dell and 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 Cisco Systems and and those names and boy the Nasdaq fell and took 15 years to come back and the Nasdaq's broader than the QQQ so I don't know the answer specifically to your question. I get nervous about these huge returns. I mean, the NASDAQ, the O-N-E-Q, which is the Fidelity NASDAQ, is up 35% year to date. So it's okay to own that, but you need to own some other things as well. So, I, you know, that's my view. You've got a lot of momentum. Momentum can last a long time. I don't think that the reshuffle is going to have a material effect on it, Michael. Okay? Okay.
3: Thank you very much, Carl. You're welcome. It.
1: You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's the text from today. Carl, do you have any advice on target date funds, like Vanguard or Schwab Index target date? I've got a couple of minutes. Actually, I have one minute before the break, so I'm not going to get through this. So the target date fund for everybody else in my opinion, was invented because people would look at the menu on their 401k plan and their eyes would glaze over and they'd stay in cash, which was a terrible decision. So... The industry, if you will, came out and said, what we'll do is we'll give you a balanced portfolio, whether they're actively managed stock and bond funds or they're index funds. And you pick the year, and what we will do is we will manage it to that year. So if you're 35 and you pick one that's 30 years from now, you're going to have more emphasis in stocks. And if you're 60 and you pick one that's five years from now, you're going to have more and more emphasis in bonds. And they're very popular because you can make one decision, and I absolutely get that. Having said that, I think there's some real issues and challenges, which I'm going to visit with you about when I come back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'll return. <laughs>
0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512
1: 836 0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're now pretty deep into our 29th year here together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning. where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590? You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or if you would like, you can go there at your convenience and listen to previous broadcasts. You can also go to SoundCloud, I just went there to check it, and put in Money Talk with Carl Stewart, and you can listen to previous broadcasts without the commercial messages. I noticed that last Saturday's broadcast is on there. Also, this Thursday after the news is 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. I take today's calls first, and then today's texts, then any previous texts that I haven't had the opportunity to fully answer, and then the hated bloviation station is after that. So if you don't want that, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a couple of texts that came in this afternoon. Carl, my employer was was bought out and the apparent company terminated our 401k plan. All participants had to cash out or roll over. The good thing is all participants are 100% vested on the match, and that is a good thing because no doubt some people were not fully invested uh, when the uh, company terminated the plan. I decided to to roll over my money to my Vanguard Roth and to avoid a 401k admin fees. So a couple of, that's a comment, not a question. I'm assuming if you you took it to a Roth, that you had a Roth 401k, uh, because um, if you didn't, then that would be a taxable event. You'd have to take it from your pre-tax 401k to an IRA rollover, and then you could do a conversion of any amount that you chose and pay tax on that. Obviously, if your money the part that was the employer match, it's my understanding that the employer match is pre-tax. So if you took the whole amount and put it in your Roth IRA, then you will have a taxable event on the portion of the plan sponsor's contribution because that was pre-tax and taxes haven't been paid on that. So I don't want you to have a nasty surprise when you get a 1099 uh, after the first of next year. So there's not enough detail in the text to really know, but uh, I'm pretty confident that you couldn't have put the whole thing into the Vanguard Roth without going through an IRA and also be aware that the employer match was uh, taxable to you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836. 0590. Here's another text that came in. I'm 69 and retired. I have over $100,000 in a managed IRA that continues to have no growth. What can I do to take this out of the stock market and draw interest? Well, I'm interested that it draw, has no growth because the S&P 500's up over 18% this year. So if it's in the stock market, you've had growth this year. If it were in the stock market last year, you had losses. If you were in the stock market the previous year, you had gains. That's the nature of the stock market. But over longer periods of time, it delivers, based on history, no predictions, inflation beating returns. You are a young person, I don't know if you're a male or a female, but you have to plan on living a long time because you don't want to be 85 and broke. And so you can move the money into a money market fund, and today you'll get 5%, which is terrific, considering that it was probably zero a little over a year ago. But is that really the right place? Because eventually, interest rates will go down, and your return on the money market fund will go down with it. So I would really suggest that you step back and decide what is it that's in your best interest for that $100,000. If you put it in cash today, for the first time in a long time, you're going to have a nice return. And even a return that could be better than inflation. But is that going to last? The answer is highly unlikely. If you don't want the stock market, I would suggest you look at something called a core bond fund. Now, my colleague Lindsay and I were talking about this this week. Core is probably a term of art but generally what it means is investment grade bonds they might be uh, u.s treasuries they might be government agencies issued by fannie mae and freddie Mac. they might be corporate bonds that are typically higher quality bonds there might be other kinds of securities asset-backed securities of high quality but history would indicate that when Money market fund yields are high, and you move from the to a U.S. core bond fund, you're going to have a far better return. Now, I can't guarantee that, but I was just looking at some data about the average 12-month returns after the yield curve inverts, okay? Well, the yield curve is inverted. You get more interest for short-term money than you do longer-term money. That's what we call an inverted yield curve. But over time, here's what happens. After the the yield curve has started to invert, the next 12-month return on money market funds is 4%. Nothing wrong with that. Short-term bond funds, 5.1%. Certainly nothing wrong with that also. But U.S. core bond funds, and so we're not cherry-picking a particular bond fund, 7.8%. Okay, that's the average 12-month return after the yield curve inverts. Let's look at it a different way. What happens after the 12-month performance following the last Fed rate hike? Now, we don't know when that's going to be. The marketplace is telling that they're likely going to increase the interest rate, the Fed funds rate, this month, later this month. And the bet is kind of 50-50 in September. But let's suppose for fun that September is the last Fed hike. So here are five different cycles of interest rates from February the fourth of nineteen ninety-four, long time ago, almost thirty years, to June 30th of this year. Here's the average 12-month performance following the last Fed rate hike. Cash, again attractive, 4.5%, short-term bonds, 7.5%, and US core bonds. 11.5%. I want to thank my friends at BlackRock for these data. So you can go into a money market fund. It's a great place if you're going to spend the money, but this is your IRA. You want it to grow. So I would suggest you take a longer term view on stocks. And if you want to put something else in there, I would look strongly at a core bond fund. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text. 512 836 0590. I'm going to visit with Trent when I return.
0: You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com.
1: Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 27 minutes. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, now would be a great time to do that at 512 836 0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com. Go there at your convenience, download podcasts, and you can also download those with the free app at SoundCloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. So the question was, do I have any advice on target date funds? And I gave you a brief description. The idea was and is to provide a one-stop shop For someone who, frankly, doesn't want to think about it and take the time to do research, and I certainly get that, they're popular within defined contribution plans, 401K, 403B plans, but you can, as this text person is suggesting, do this on your own. I think that there—how shall I say this? It's tricky, because there's a big difference between longevity and life expectancy, And longevity is the odds that you will live to be 90 or 95 or even 100. And I get concerned with target date funds who get conservative when a person hits the target date. Now, there's a way around that. You can pick a target date far beyond your retirement date, for example. But over long periods of time, bonds, and this did not happen last year, tend to be very low correlated to stocks. So in bad times for stocks, bonds tend to hold value. And in weak economies, the Fed usually lowers interest rates during recessions, and bonds deliver positive returns. So I think bonds are more attractive today than they've been in a very long time. Having said that, bonds are not designed to deliver a real return after inflation. Are there periods when they do that? Of course. But if your choice is a target date fund and you're going to have indexes that invest in U.S. stocks and foreign stocks and bond funds, bond indexes, I'm concerned with asset allocation. It is the single biggest determinant of return. No matter which index you pick, it's the biggest. And if you pick actively managed fund, it's still the largest impact on your total return, which includes how much downside risk you accept and you encounter. So I'm okay with that but I'm not enthusiastic about it. If you're gonna do this, you ought to get information about what does the portfolio predicted to look like? What is the asset allocation at the target date? Some companies will say, look, Susan's gonna do this in target date when she's 65, but she has has a longevity chance to 87. We're gonna keep more in stocks. Someone else might say, Susan's going to retire at 65, and she doesn't want to take any risk at that point. We're going to have a heavy allocation to bonds. So like most things in investing, it's a lot more complex than you think it is when you first get started. So I would look at it from that point of view. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see here. I think I might have... Here we go. Carl, I am 86 and have a will. I don't understand about probate. Could you explain what it involves? Thank you. I'm going to do my best. Uh, I am not an estate attorney, and I'm not a CPA. Having said that, here's what estate planning attorneys have explained to me. In some states... When you die, your executor, I think we don't call them executor and executrix anymore, but I'm not positive, so I'm just going to use executor as that's a generic. Your executor is going to go to the courthouse and get certain documents, and then she is going to deliver those documents to where you have assets, for example, your bank or credit union or savings and loan, or the custodian of your IRA, or your brokerage account, and then that those custodians will do whatever the will says, because that your executor will deliver the will, and they will then, let's say you've got three children, and you have a brokerage account at Charles Schwab, and y- your will says you want the assets divided equally between the three, Schwab will open an account for all three of your kids, individual account, and split that into those. Now, for reasons that are baffling, I, it's my understanding that in Florida, where there are lots of older people, the probate process can be long and tedious, and that there's a fundamental assumption in the law that the executor will mess things up. In Texas, we have something called independent administration, and the probate process is quick and it's inexpensive. So if you have a straightforward situation, I mean, you don't have farmland in Illinois, you don't have oil and gas interests in New Mexico, you have a home, you have savings in the bank, you have a brokerage firm, let's say, and a brokerage account, that's going to be a straightforward situation. Now, some people will suggest a living trust my understanding is the argument for a living trust is you avoid probate but to avoid probate you have to put one it's my understanding a hundred percent of your assets inside the trust so that when you die you don't have any assets and there's no estate to probate for most people in texas based on my conversations with the state attorneys who i respect and even admire that's totally unnecessary now if you have a very large estate Today, it has to be over $12,920,000 before there's any kind of estate tax. So if you have a large estate with where there's lots of assets and you're concerned that you want to keep that private because you don't want your beneficiaries being harassed by people who are trying to get your, the money you left them, then there might be a good argument to do a living trust because then nobody knows what the value of your assets. But for most people, you're 86 and you have a will, and that's the deal. Probate is straightforward, inexpensive, and quick. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help?
3: Well, hi. hi. The uh,
2: question I had was regarding what you just covered with the. Former I'll caller, be I'll be done. The one just now. <laughs> so by the time I got on, uh, I was <laughs> listening to that. <laughs> so.
1: Well, by the way, yeah, I know you pay attention to these things. I just because we'll visit for a couple of minutes here, as you know, because you listen, a regular listener. Um, I I go through and update every Saturday. Oh, I do the Vanguard total stock market, the uh, Spider S&P 500, the Fidelity uh, NASDAQ, and the Vanguard XUS to get a sense of the, of the market. And then I do the iShares ag for the bond market. Uh, and it was really stunning last week. Last Saturday, the Vanguard total stock market was up 14.94 year to date. Now it's up 18.06. The NASDAQ, believe it or not, was up 31.5 last Saturday, obviously Friday, now it's up 35.7. And the bond market, which usually is like watching paint dry, the Bloomberg egg, actually it's not the egg, it's the ETF, the iShares, had a year-to-date return of 1.04, and today it's got a return of 2.52, that's a huge move. So we had a heck of a good week for stocks and bonds
3: did we ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's let's celebrate and uh, thank and I'll 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 let you go now thanks for listening <laughs> okay bye bye you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj caller text 512 836 0590 here's a question carl with all your years of investing experience do you think we are experiencing a bear market rally Many signals are flashing recession. Thanks for your great show. Boy, oh boy. First of all, I've had many years of of experience, which means I've managed to lose money in every conceivable asset class. Real estate, stocks, bonds, oil and gas, you name it. Give me the opportunity, I'll lose money in it. And what have I learned from that? Two or three important things. One, you can't predict the future. And two, asset allocation is the single most important decision for investors, regardless of whether it's your 401k, your own taxable account, or whatever. So this is the most – having said that, okay, so I'm not changing my asset allocation because I anticipate that there's a recession. Having said that, I have, I have made a change uh, in that I, if you're a regular listener – uh, you've heard me talk for a long time about our 40-year period of declining interest rates, where the 10-year Treasury peaked in uh, August of 1981 at over 15% and dropped to barely over 1%, and now it's around 37 I think. I think for the first time in a long time, bonds tend to be look more attractive. So I have a very low allocation to bonds, and I'm going to increase it by 500 basis points. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. But remember, I'm coming off a 1,300 basis point position. So this is. The, so I was reading the financial press, and some pundits said this is the most widely anticipated and advertised recession to ever occur, and it hasn't happened. The kinds of things that you see for a recession are an inverted yield curve. Well, we've had that now. For probably a year I don't know but for a long time but you also see rising unemployment we haven't had that uh, and uh, you, you just you, you don't know how far out there it's going to occur the odds just based on history that the Federal Reserve can engineer what people call a soft landing where they get inflation back to their two percent target and They do so without having a recession. The odds of that, frankly, based on history, are extremely low. So I have a moderate allocation, 55% to equities, because I think that implies I need to be ready for a weakening economy. But that may not be right for you. I'm not suggesting that I don't know you, it may not be the right allocation. Do I think that there's an opportunity for a recession? Based on all the smart people I talk with and all the portfolio managers I listen to, I would tell you that the current operating assumption from big companies that look at how you structure portfolios, their assumption is that there will be a recession. They do not know, and no one knows, I get different views about the nature of the recession, but they they being, and I'm talking the big Wall Street firms and the big asset managers, their operating assumption when they've designed portfolios is we're going to have a recession. So far, the signals are muddy at best, but we have to believe, Jerome Powell, that they are going to keep interest rates high and higher for longer until we get back to that 2% inflation. And while the news this afternoon, if you've been listening, talked about a low inflation number, Yeah. Because that was, we had a high inflation number in June of last year. I read today in Barron's, the inflation number was zero in terms of an increase in July of 2022. So unless the inflation number in July of 2023 is zero, we're going to have a bump in inflation. That's the nature of statistics. So you just have to be cautious out there. Are the odds 50-50 of a recession? No, they're probably 65-35. But if you keep listening, we'll see if I've made a mistake one more time. It's time for me to take a break. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, you're running out of time. 512-836-0590. I'll be back.
0: You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart. And you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another what eleven minutes and I have no calls coming in and I've only got one text, so we can lots of time. 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, do you prefer the S P five hundred exchange traded fund over the traditional S P index fund? And why? So because I'm not a trader. I like the ETF only because it's slightly less expensive, and exchange-traded funds are designed so that they're tax-efficient. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pay taxes. If the, if the stocks in the S&P pay dividends, and they do, not all of them, obviously, you're going to have to pay taxes on the dividends, but they manage them in such a way that there's no capital gains distribution. It's not guaranteed, but that's the way it's been. That's true whether you own the open-end fund, the S&P 500 index fund, or you own the exchange-traded fund. The ETF has slightly lower expenses, and over time, and there's a lot of data, Morningstar's made a, a, I don't know, a history out of talking about this, that expense ratios are a significant drag on performance, and so you want to keep them as cheap as possible. I think the other thing is, because I I said I'm not a trader, now, people who trade ETFs are going to want to do use ETFs because they can trade them throughout the day. They trade on an exchange, hence their name. Whereas if you buy what's called the 1940 Act Open End Fund, whatever you pay for it when you buy it and whatever you get for them when you sell it is the net asset value at the end of the day. If you're working in an environment with your investments and you have no transaction charges for ETFs, I'd use the ETFs. If you have no transaction charges for the open-end fund and you paid 9 or $10 for the ETFs and you're going to be buying and selling them frequently, then I would go with the open-end fund. But if I'm a long-term investor, then I use the ETF simply because it's cheaper. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see here. I think I might have gotten another one. Okay, Carl, great discussion around bonds today. What are the advantages or disadvantages of holding intermediate bonds in the bond allocation of a portfolio? So the benefits are in a traditional regular yield curve, you get more yield, so you have the potential for greater return in an intermediate bond portfolio than in a short-term bond portfolio. In a traditional yield curve environment, which we are not in now, you would get more yield if credit quality were the same in a longer term bond. However, you also pick up what's called duration risk. Let me explain that. So the Barclay what's called the Barclay. Now it's the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. That's the big one that everybody follows. That has a duration of around 6.5. What does that mean? It means that if interest rates across the portfolio, across the yield curve, went up 1%, you would anticipate the value of your portfolio to drop 6.5%. And the opposite, if rates were to fall 1%, you would anticipate the prices of the bonds to go up 6.5%. That, frankly, is, I think, a good thing because I think for the first time intermediate-term bonds actually have a real return after common measures of inflation. I've never been a fan of long-term bonds. Now, with one exception, and this is what happens with pension funds, insurance companies, and it may be you. If you know that you have a future liability that you're going to absolutely have to have the money for... Buying long-term bonds, you know what you're going to get and you know when you're going to get it fine. But in terms of running a portfolio, I think intermediate-term bonds provide you a combination of current return and the potential for total return. Now, that doesn't work when 10-year treasuries are 1.5%, hence my skepticism for several years on bonds. With the 10-year treasury where it is and with your ability to get 5%, or maybe even more in terms of coupon, which would be dividend income, I think that gives you some potential for when stocks decline to have a better total return. So those are the advantages. The disadvantages are very straightforward. If we get into a period of superinflation and the Fed keeps raising interest rates like they did in the 1970s, bonds are a stinker and you don't want to own them. I think that's a black swan. I think that's not likely to happen and that's why I favor intermediate term bonds. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Caller text 512-836-0590. Wayne, you're on the air. How may I how may I help? Hi Carl. Hi. Uh,
3: I work I work at a small startup company that has a 401k program. There was a rift back in April that changed the mix of employees. And for those of us who are left, we, uh, our company is apparently uh, at risk of failing uh, tests with regard to 401K. Yeah. And my question is uh, whether you have any suggestions, A, for things the company can do to not be at risk, and then B, what I should do as an employee who, who yeah. is may or may not continue to contribute right. to the to the four oh one K.
1: Right. Well so for everybody else, what Wayne's talking about is that the Department of Labor requires certain tests of defined contribution plans, and that includes four oh one K plans. And what occurs is sometimes when there's a change in the mixture of the employees and their compensation. Or this can also happen in companies where you have a real huge, almost a barbell in terms of income. You have some people, typically managers and/or owners, who have substantial income, and then you have some people uh, who have very low income. Those can be those fail the test from the Department of Labor. They're called top-heavy plans, and they have to re. The plan has to refund to the people in the top port, their income. Their, I beg your pardon, their contribution. And there's nothing you can do about it. I've seen this over the years. Business owners think they can put away the maximum for a 401k. Then the plan's audited and they get a check, because, and that's taxable income. And there's really nothing. That's the way the law or the statute was designed. The good news for you, of course, is that it's a separate asset from the company. So if the company's been involved in a reduction in force because business conditions are deteriorating, your plan assets are completely segregated from anything that happens to the income statement or the balance sheet of the employer. And I would continue to contribute to the plan. If in the fullness of time, the employer fails, goes out of business, files bankruptcy, you still have the protected asset at the planned administrator, not with the company. I would continue to contribute, uh, and those people who are in the top heavy are going to get money back, and there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it.
3: Okay, so if I am considered one of the people that is uh, making it top heavy, am yeah. I at risk of getting money back
1: now? Yes, Absolutely absolutely it's pure mathematics and there's nothing you can do about it cuz that's just it's the law and that's the way it works
3: okay so for my personal situation i did a uh an ira to roth conversion in a completely separate uh transaction that i was kind of counting on the 401k deferring uh, uh right. somewhat of an equal right. amount of right.
1: um yeah i understand yeah okay yeah, I understand. I'm sorry. But if it, if they fail, if the plan fails the test, you're going to get money back. It's just the way the law is written, Wayne. Perfect. Okay, you bet. Thanks for calling. We're down to one minute. Uh, and if you're a regular listener like Marianne, you know that every week I thank Matt. Matt Poplin has been my producer for a long time. Having done this broadcast for over, well, about 29 and a half years, as you would imagine, I've had lots of producers. And you know, as you, the the bell curve of competence, I've had a lot that were good. I've had some that were not so good. And I have had a few that were just terrific. And Matt's one of those. And when I learned that he was leaving, I told him that I was going to slash his tires. Uh, I was going to rip out of the engine of his vehicle and that he couldn't leave. However, he rudely, disappointed me, and is leaving. So I want to say to Matt, you, I want to say to you in front of all of our audience, the best of luck in your new venture. Thank you for your years of help and support. And now, next Saturday, after the news at four, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.
0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated.